1: In the words of the Trade Offs team, there are no easy solutions for a troubled healthcare system, just trade offs. You can find trade offs wherever
0: you listen to your podcasts. Live from the BBC, The Naked Scientists.
1: A very good evening to you, and welcome to this week's edition of The Naked Scientists with me, Dr. Chris Smith, and Dr. Katani, who's also here to co present tonight. Hello. This evening, we're unravelling. The double helix, because we're taking a look at the mysteries of DNA, genes, and genetics, and to help us do that, from the Cam- from Cambridge University's Department of Genetics is Mike Majeris. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Chris. And also from the Sanger Centre at Hinxton, and this is the place where the Human Genome Project, or at least a very major wodge or a component of the Human Genome Project, was sequencing was carried out. We have from there Darren Grafham. Good evening, Darren. Good evening, Chris. Thanks for coming in. They're here in the studio, these guys, and they're happy to take your questions on anything to do with genetics, or the science of genetics, inheritance, inherited diseases, DNA, how genes and chromosomes orchestrate themselves in cells. If you want to ask these guys anything along those lines, you can phone them now. It's 08459 252000, Or you can send us an email, chris at nakedscientists.com. Chris at NakedScientist.com and if you miss those numbers, don't worry, we'll give you them again regularly throughout tonight's programme. Anything to do with genes, genetics and DNA. Those are your guys and they're here to take your questions. You can of course ring in on anything to do with science, technology and medicine, because I'll mop up anything that these guys don't want to talk about. I'll take those questions. We'll talk about anything science. So anything goes here on the Naked Scientist with me and Dr. Cat. You just call in 8459 nine twenty five two thousand for any science questions. Now things are going to really hot up tonight because all across the eastern counties there are children in schools getting their own DNA from their own cells. And the reason they're doing that is because aliens have apparently abducted our production team here at The Naked Scientists, which is why we're here on our own. Uh, And they've said that unless we can actually prove that we're any good at science, they're not going to let the guys go again. And we'll be finding out from some guys at BioRad the biotechnology company, exactly what the story is behind all that. Derek's out there now, and he'll be giving us an update very, very shortly. But before then, here's Kat with a rundown of what else to look forward to on tonight's show.
2: Yep, on tonight's show, we're going to be ask, uh, answering even some of your questions that you've sent in by email. Um, you can always email us on chris at com. Chris at scientist.com. We have a little email here from Dominique in Suffolk, who says, Hi Chris and the team, great programme, I tune in every week. Please ask your producer to extend the runtime. it's much too short. So when we retrieve our producer from Aliens, uh, we'll be asking her if we can get some longer time on air. And also coming up tonight, we have some stories for you in the news. Uh, Chris is going to be talking about a way to monitor carbon dioxide using aeroplanes. And I'll be talking a bit about mouth cancer that's been in the news this week, using my other hat as, as a person from Cancer Research UK, um, talking about mouth cancer, binge drinking. What is the truth out there? What is it really all about? Um, if you've got any questions on that, any questions for us, any questions for Darren or Mike about genes, genetics, genomes, uh, get calling in 08459 2000. And also, if you want to have a go, at the quiz. Science fact, science fiction, as always. Uh, the prizes tonight are a copy of Dave Ray's book, all about climate change, and um, he'll be talking tomorrow. Is it tomorrow, Chris, at Borders? And uh, also the Encyclopedia Britannica on DVD. How good is that? So call in for the quiz 08459 252000 and Chris will tell us how it works.
1: It's very easy. We give you three simple science facts and you tell us whether they're true or that whether we made them up. And the person with the top score tonight could go away with either the Encyclopedia Britannica or you can have a copy of Dave Ray's book. Maybe even both if you're the only person to call up 08459 252000.
0: The Naked Scientist podcast brought to you by thenakedscientist.com
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, our production team have been abducted by aliens and here to bring us up to speed, Derek is with BioRad's Melanie Hannah this evening to find out what the story is behind what's going on.
3: Yes, thank you, Chris. We are indeed here in the Naked Scientist Laboratory this week, and we are, of course, shocked by this news that the uh, production team have been kidnapped. But with me is someone who knows a lot more about this and what's been going on. She is Melanie Hanna from a biotechnology company called BioRad. So, Melanie, what has happened today?
4: It's a shocking, shocking story. The Naked Scientist production crew have been abducted by aliens, and the aliens are after proof that Earth children are as scientifically capable as they are, and so they've put a ransom demand of getting DNA samples from the kids themselves to free the Naked Scientist production crew.
3: Right, so we've got some school children who are going to be getting DNA. What's happening there though? I gather we actually have some schools involved.
4: Yeah, we've got schools from around the region, students who are going to take DNA from their very own cheek cells and separate it from all the other components of stuff that's in their mouth, look at their own DNA and they're even going to get to keep some of it in a necklace.
3: And so this is actually the technique that scientists normally use to get DNA, is it?
4: Yeah, if a scientist is going to clone something or sequence DNA, this is the exact same procedure that they would do that's happening every day across this country
3: okay and so when is this happening
4: it's happening in just a few minutes the kids are going to start their dna extraction procedure
3: will it be done before the show is over
4: yet this procedure only takes about an hour so the students are going to be able to get their dna and then they're going to send off samples here to the naked scientist laboratory to be tested for purity
3: And, of course, we are going to be hearing updates from them as well throughout the show to hear how they're doing. And finally, then, at the end of this, do they get something to keep?
4: Yep, they're going to keep their own DNA in a little amulet, a necklace that they can wear around their neck forever and ever.
3: Okay, so that's the story here from the Naked Science Laboratory. We are going to be getting samples eventually from those schools, but I think we should now head straight back to the studio. And, Chris, you can find out more about what the schools are up to. So
1: it's back to you. Thank you, Derek. Just so everyone at home knows, the way we're going to be doing this this evening is that at each of these schools, people have been issued with a kit and you're going to be making DNA, guys, from yourself. So, in other words, it's something you've produced. It's your genetic code, which you're going to be seeing in front of your very eyes later this evening. The way it works is that you chomp on your cheek, and the cheeks contain a lot of cells, and each of the cells in your body contains your DNA. So by chomping on your cheek and doing the equivalent of eating a a six-course Sunday lunch, you actually detach a lot of those cells, and they go into your saliva. And then you'll rinse your mouth out with some water and spit the cells into a tube and then we 're going to get you to add some chemicals to those cells which will burst the cells open and help the DNA to float out 're going to clean the DNA up with something which digests out all of the other rubbish that 's floating around with it and then we 're going to hopefully enable that DNA to be seen with some ice cold alcohol because DNA is not soluble in alcohol, and the DNA will float to the surface, and you should be able to see it and We should get here live on air tonight from at least one of these schools a description of what human DNA actually looks like when you make it visible so we 're going to find out tonight on air what that looks like so stay tuned within the next 50 minutes we should be getting that result so good luck everyone out there i hope it goes well for you your time starts now and we're in fact going to catch up with olivia first of all and uh, olivia's going to tell us what uh, they what they've done at their school she's in potter's bar in Hertfordshire. hi olivia hi what have you been up to today
5: we've been getting samples of our dna
1: how are you doing that what's what's the sort of gear you've got there to do it what's the equipment like we've
5: got all the test tubes and pets and water baths and, like, loads of equipment.
1: So you've transformed your classroom into a really, really funky-looking laboratory? Yeah. Is it exciting to be doing this? Yeah, it's
5: really exciting.
1: Have you ever seen DNA before? No. Nope. So what do you reckon yours is going to be like? Uh, I don't know, really. So what do you reckon on this story about the naked scientists being um, abducted by aliens who want your DNA? You see,
5: it's kind of scary, but...
1: Do you reckon you're going to rescue them? Yeah. You re- so you reckon you're gonna, your school going to produce the purest sample of DNA? Definitely. All
0: right then Olivia, thanks very much for bringing us up to speed on what you're doing. Okay. See you later. Thank you. The Naked Scientists, supported by the Wellcome Trust.
2: Well, you're listening to The Naked Scientists on BBC in the Eastern Counties, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen with that DNA challenge. I really want to see if anyone manages to get human DNA out of their own face. Well,
1: I want the production team back, actually, but...
2: Well, yeah, there is that, too. It would be nice. Anyway, um, something in the news this week that's to do with DNA, and also to do with mouths, is um, mouth cancer. Now, this week, Cancer Research UK launched uh, a new campaign to increase awareness about mouth cancer, and... um, this all sort of ties in because um, cancer is something that happens when the DNA in your cells gets damaged and DNA contains the instructions your cells need. So when the instructions get wrong, then your cells don't know what they're meant to be doing and they start multiplying out of control and that's when you get cancer. And now the problem with mouth cancer is that firstly, we did a survey and only one in five people don't even know that mouth cancer exists. They were completely ignorant of this. You know, we know all about breast cancer because we have Breast Cancer Awareness Month and we know about other types of the disease. But um, mouth cancer is really a a hidden hidden one. And um, also we did a study and found that a lot of people didn't know what causes mouth cancer. And in fact, people know that smoking is very bad for you. Smoking causes lung cancer and mouth cancer. But people didn't know that alcohol is really significant risk factor in mouth cancer and especially if you drink and smoke together and um, well why is this important because mouth cancer is quite rare it's uh, not as common as breast cancer which you have 750 people every week with breast cancer but the rates of mouth cancer are really going up in the UK and um, in sort of older men in men in their 40s and 50s we've seen rates double in the past decade so what Cancer Research UK wants to do for a start is to raise awareness of the fact that Drinking alcohol and smoking together can really increase your risk. And it's not just binge drinking. We've heard so much about binge drinking this week um, with the new legislation. It's the total amount that you drink is important. So I think everyone could probably benefit from cutting down, and I think I probably could as well. Um... But also to just increase awareness of the disease and the symptoms. So what you want to be looking out for is um, anything in your mouth like a sore or an ulcer, a red or white patch, lumps and bumps that hang around for more than three weeks and then get around to your GP or your dentist to get checked out. And uh, if you're one of our younger listeners, don't start panicking about it because it does mainly affect older people. But uh, if you're one of our older listeners, then just be aware a, a bit more. And uh, that's what we want to say, really, because it is on the rise and it's something that's very preventable. Chris?
1: It is true. Uh, I think recently I covered a story in which scientists had developed a saliva test for mouth cancer and they were able to pinpoint changes in certain mouth bacteria because the mouth contains a lot of bacteria that are naturally there because of the, the nature of the mouth. It's a warm, wet environment which gives an ideal home to lots of different bugs. And people who had mouth cancer actually showed increases in some specific populations of the bacteria living in the mouth and they were able to use that as a sort of test for it.
2: Oh, that's useful because some you can see because they're in the front of your mouth, but some are. Far exactly. Down the back some of your are hidden frame. in the
1: back. You can't see them, can't and, and often them. they present late. In other words, you've got very advanced problems before they actually come to your attention. But if you could do a simple saliva test, say every time you went to the dentist, they could just take a trace of saliva and see if it had any of these hallmarks of, of potential mouth cancer developing and then refer you for other checks. So that's good news. Now, if you want to email us at the Naked Scientist, we'll take any science question on anything. Chris at com Got a great email here from Peru, actually. It's from George Lewis Revilla, who says, Hi guys, I was just listening to your show and you mentioned you have listeners all over the world. I don't know if you've yet received a listener from another fan down here in Peru, but I wanted to let you know that I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now and I love them. Keep up the good work. So thank you very much. There's, a, there's an email from Peru. Yay. So the world really is a shrinking place, isn't it? Haven't had any emails yet from anyone in Brazil. Um, so if anyone's in Brazil and wants to write to us, chris at nakedscientist.com. Guatemala. Where are we haven't? Guatemala. And uh, Argentina. Mongolia. It would be quite good to hear from someone there. And I have actually got an email from someone in China. That's and close. if I have time, um, where, who was it who wrote to us from China? Just looking him up. Um,
2: I have an email from someone... Tommy who... Lee.
1: Uh, Tommy Lee in China. Not Pamela Anderson's boyfriend, Tommy Lee. Uh, actually, this is Tommy Lee who lives in China. But he's got a great question. I'll try and get around to that if I can.
2: Um, I have an email from someone in California and... Uh, People who listen regularly will remember that um, Chris was kidnapped last week, so I hosted the show and I made a mistake. Um, I'm not perfect, unfortunately. um, You knew that. Well, yes. And someone um, called up and said, Where's the best place to put your smoke detector, uh, to put your carbon monoxide detector for your gas appliances? And um, and I said, uh, It's probably up near the ceiling or on the wall. And um, here we have Jeff Mendez who's a scientist in California and he says that the best place to put your smoke, your carbon monoxide detector is actually nearest um, your bed or nearest the, your most dodgy gas appliance um, because in fact carbon monoxide when it's in air isn't going to rise up in that way but you need to put smoke detectors up on the ceiling because smoke does rise. So okay. thanks to that for Jeff and I'm in the corner with the Dunce Cap on. Naughty girl. Yes.
1: If you want to drop us a line at the Naked Scientist, O eight four five nine twenty five two thousand our phone number. We're talking about genes, genetics and DNA tonight because all around the eastern counties there are people extracting their own DNA We've got people in schools representing each county. In uh, We've got Roxham School in Potters Bar in Hertfordshire, and we just heard from Olivia there. We've got uh, Saeed, who's in Dogsthorpe Junior School in Peterborough in Cambridgeshire. We're going to be hearing from him very, very shortly. We've also got the Birch School in Essex and Abigail's up there. She'll be talking to us shortly. Colby Primary School near Norwich in Norfolk. We've got Chris out there. And uh, in Brambleside School in Kettering, Northamptonshire, Matthew is going to give us an update later. And at the Horringer School, uh, it's the Horringer Court Middle School in Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk. Sam's there with an update. Update on what she's up to, and th- those school children are all with groups of their friends extracting their own genetic material this evening. We're going to try and get some samples of human DNA and get some of them to at least tell you what it sounds like. And within the next 40 or 50 minutes, we'll be finding that in- piece of information out. But in the meantime, if there are any science questions you'd like us to answer here on The Naked Scientists on BBC Local Radio in Eastern Counties, 08459 25 2000. Remember, we have here sitting in the studio from the University of Cambridge. Mike Majerus, he's, a, he's an expert on genetics and he's happy to take any of your questions about anything to do with DNA. And Darren Graffham from the Sanger Centre, where the human genome sequence, where a large component of it, was sequenced. That announcement was made over the, uh, several times, actually, over the last five years, wasn't it, Darren? I <laughs> anyway, uh, I've got an email here from Liam Samford, who's 13 years old in Skegness in Lincolnshire, and he says, how is thunder and lightning made and what causes it? Well, the answer to that, Liam, is that when clouds are gathering you have big storm clouds, you have lots of tiny particles in them and these are called hydrometeors and they're tiny particles of ice crystals and in the same way as if you rub a balloon on your head, you can make it stick to the wall because it gains static electricity when these hydrometeors bounce against each other they rub charge on and off each other and so the charge gets carried up and down inside the cloud and you get a change so that one side of the cloud becomes a different charge to the other so you get an electrical field builds up and so you get an enormous amount of positive charge congregates at the bottom of the cloud and a lot of negative charge The concrete, sorry, the other way around, a lot of positive charge at the bottom of the cloud and the negative charge at the top and the result of that is that the earth has a different electrical field to the cloud And when that charge difference becomes big enough, eventually the insulation of the air breaks down and you get a lightning strike. And a lightning bolt carries between a billion and ten billion joules of energy. And to put that in perspective, you could make about 100,000 pieces of toast with the energy in a lightning bolt. But when it comes down to Earth, it measures about the size. A lightning flash is about the size of a five pence piece. But it lasts only a fraction of a second. And it carries about 20,000 amps of current. So it's enough to fry you if you got hit by it. But what's amazing is that that lightning bolt is sufficient to heat the air around it to about 30,000 degrees centigrade. And to put that in perspective, that's roughly six times the surface temperature of the sun. So it's pretty hot. And when you make something that hot, what happens is that all of the gas molecules get so excited that you literally rip them to pieces and you, you... make electrons that are around those gases jump to a very high energy level and then jump back again to a normal energy level and when they do that they give out light and the light that they spray out is what you see as a flash of lightning and because of the heating effect the sudden explosion of the heating effect of the the lightning bolt that causes a compression wave like clapping your hands together around the lightning bolt and that's what slowly propagates to you and makes the roll of thunder and because light travels much much faster than sound waves you see the light first and then you hear the thunder. So I hope that answers your question, Liam Sanford, from Skegness in Lincolnshire, as to what is thunder and lightning. Right, now we are, of course, the Naked Scientist, Dr Chris and Dr Cat. Any science questions like that, 08459 252000 or email me chris at nakedscientist.com. Coming up shortly, we'll be talking to Saeed with an update on our genetics experiment in the east of England. Laying the facts bare,
0: the Naked Scientist's.
1: The Naked Scientist, Dr Chris and Dr Kat, here with you until 7 o'clock on BBC Local Radio all around the eastern counties. If you have a science question, 08459 252000 Remember, Up for Grabs tonight is an Encyclopaedia Britannica on DVD or a copy of David Ray's book, Climate Change Begins at Home. Right now, we are, of course, testing all around the eastern region. We have people representing uh, schools all, in every county around the eastern region finding their own DNA. And Saeed is at Dogsthorpe Junior School in Peterborough. So, hi, Saeed. How are you?
5: I'm fine, thanks.
1: Yeah. How are you getting on with this experiment? What have you done so far?
5: Um, Well, we've just... Well, we've been doing the, like, the cheek cell bits, where we chew on our cheeks on, like, the insides, and we have to... We have to
1: but that's um, your own cheek, Saeed, not someone else's, presumably.
5: No. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. So so what do you do? You chew on your cheek, and how does that help?
5: Because um, take, we've taken off all, like, the cells and... They're like holding them
1: in our mouth, and we mustn't swallow, though. Right. And, and then, then what do you do once you've chewed on your cheek for a little while?
5: Well, we got, like, a bottle of, like, a water. Yeah. We put it in our
1: mouth, and we
5: swirled it around, and then we have to spit it out in a cup.
1: Yeah. And so, presumably, the, the cells that you've chewed off of the inside of your mouth have gone into the water, and then they go into the cup? Yeah. And now you're going to try and break them open and get the DNA out? Yeah. So tell me, who is going to win this competition?
5: Well, it's obvious it's going to be
1: us. Why is it obvious?
5: Because we've got, well, we're the best scientists ever.
1: Cool. Well, look, um, uh, good luck with it, really. Thanks. You've got a little way to go. Let's hope you win.
5: Thank you.
1: Saeed's out there at Dogsthorpe Junior School in Peterborough in Cambridge. He's obviously very positive that we're going to have a a winner there. Of course, um, tonight, the person who produces the most pure sample of their own DNA, and we'll be analysing them in the forthcoming week to see who that is going to be, will win themselves a spectacular prize. Uh, and that's going to be announced later uh, so if uh, if you have any questions on anything to do with science, technology and medicine call now 08459 2000 we are of course listening uh, talking to Mike Majerus and um, Darren Graffin from the uh, sorry, sorry, from the Sanger Institute in Hingston and we're talking this evening about genes, genetics and DNA so anything to do with those subjects is, is up for grabs this evening if you want to get on to us Uh, First of all, let me tell you about this uh, thing in Japan because environmentally friendly airline bosses at Japan Airlines have decided to team up with the Japanese government and address the idea and the problem of climate change full on the nose because they're equipping some of their airliners, up to five planes in fact, with CO2 carbon dioxide measuring devices. And the idea here is that as the planes fly along, they'll be collecting samples of carbon dioxide in real time. So what that means is a continuous measurement of external carbon dioxide concentrations. And this is going to happen on flights between Tokyo and Europe and Asia. Because because the planes are flying quite frequently across those airspaces and at a range of different altitudes, they'll be able to build up a really clear three-dimensional picture of exactly what carbon dioxide is doing in, this, in those parts of the atmosphere much better than we could ever do from the ground or much better than we could do with satellite images from space. And that's going to kick off, actually, quite soon. They've start, they've flown one plane, which launched on the 5th of uh, November, but slowly they're going to add this to more and more of their Boeing so they can get some idea of what's happening in the, com- in the carbon dioxide that changes seasonally and also geographically over the areas that they're flying over. This actually builds on an earlier initiative. They used to do this in the 90s. They only had two planes doing it at that time, though, and it used to go up, uh, the plane would take off, go to some part of the atmosphere collect one sample of carbon dioxide and bring that down for analysis. So this is a much better system. It literally pipes a little bit of air from outside into the cargo bay of the plane where there's a special thing called a spectrophotometer that uses light to analyse the atmospheric gases and work out what the composition is. And it doesn't just look for CO2, it'll be able to look for other um, greenhouse gases too.
2: Not saying anything about how aeroplanes are actually contributing to CO2. Actually,
1: they do point out that they're (laughs) collecting the gas from the front of the plane, not the back, so it won't be collecting its own pollution. Now, it is Dr Chris and Dr Cat on BBC Local Radio, right across the eastern counties. Of course, we are taking your science questions as the Naked Scientist this evening, 08459 252000 2000, if you'd like to give us a call, or you can email me, chris at com. On uh, Wednesday evening, this week coming, at 9 o'clock, the new David Attenborough series is going to kick off, and it's going to be called Life in the Undergrowth. And this is amazing, because I've seen some of the footage. These guys have taken tiny cameras, and they've been able to strap them onto some of nature's smallest animals and go where cameras have never gone before. And the other day, naked scientist Anna Lacey was lucky enough to go along to the Department of Zoology here at Cambridge University, and she got a sneak preview of the programme and also got to chat to the BBC's series producer, Mike Salisbury.
6: It's called Life in the Undergrowth, and it's about everything from slugs and snails to bugs and butterflies and beetles and the wonders of ants and bees and termites and things like that.
1: Why haven't there been more programs like this?
6: There have been uh, quite a few insects and other invertebrates sort of featured in, in, in programs but I think we felt it was time for another in-depth look at them because the cameras are more sensitive so you don't have to use so much light. Uh, the improvement recently of the sort of lenses we can use reveal just a bit more of this fairly sort of hidden world.
1: But the world is so big and insects are so small, how do you make sure you're in the right place at the right time?
6: Sometimes we haven't been in the right place at the right time, but that's really down to, to good research. For instance, we wanted to film the mass emergence of cicadas in the eastern U.S. USA that actually only come out every 17 years. So, luckily, there's a lot of people studying them. and We hit upon a, a population that was going to emerge, so the scientists told us, and indeed they did, and we got a wonderful sequence. Did you learn
1: anything else that nobody knew about before?
6: Yes, I think there are, there are several instances where our cameras revealed something that hadn't been noticed before. For instance, there's these weird clearings in the rainforest in, in the Amazon part of Peru that the locals call Devil's Gardens, and they're a, a sort of monoculture of one particular type of tree, and they give a home to tiny little black ants. I mean, really minuscule, you can hardly see them. And um, there was a a biologist called Megan Frederickson who's researching these things, and all the saplings of other trees around species were, were, were dying off, and she knew it was something to do with the ants because the ants were visiting them, but she didn't know how it happened. And when we got our tiny lenses there, she saw for the first time that they were not only chewing into the outer bark, but they were actually injecting formic acid into the wounds. And that's how these ants, tiny ants, were making these clearings bigger and bigger and bigger. And up to now, nobody had known exactly how they did it.
1: What do you think people are going to be most surprised about by watching this?
6: I think they will be mostly surprised at the intricate behaviour that's happening all around them, if you care to look, you know. Why do hoverflies tend to stay in one little patch of sunlight and and look around, and then suddenly dart off? You know, what are they doing? And then they come back to the same spot. Well, we've done a sequence showing how they're actually either chasing off rival males that come into their patch, or they're showing off to females and then try to mate with them as they fly overhead. And when people see that in detail, they'll be fascinated.
2: That does sound absolutely brilliant. I've got a, a joke for you, all right? What did the slug say to the snail?
1: Oh blooming caravans or something.
2: No. The slug said to the snail, big issue.
1: <laughs> so I've got a I've got a joke that's been sent in by Shibs actually, and he says, What do you call and we can ask these guys over here, you can ask Mike and um Darren as well. What do you call a dinosaur with hemorrhoids?
7: What do you call a dinosaur with hemorrhoids? No idea at all.
1: Pain in the rear? A megasaurus. Sorry, can <laughs> carry on then?
7: <laughs>
2: You are listening to the appalling jokes on The Naked Scientists on the BBC in the Eastern Counties. Um, we're answering your questions, and we want to get questions in for Mike Majerus and for Darren Grafham about genes, genetics, genomes. What is in our DNA? How do we find out? And, um, and how has it changed through evolution? Why are we different from slugs and snails? And um, we're looking at DNA tonight with all the kids from the schools in the region. And we're going to go and have a quick chat to Abigail now, who's at the Birch School in Birch in Essex, to find out what she's learning and uh, how she's getting on.
1: Hi, Abigail. How are you getting on?
2: We're doing fine.
1: How are you, How's it going?
2: Oh, it's been really, really fun, and we're finding
5: out loads of things.
1: What have you discovered?
5: Well, we've discovered that um, DNA can come up to two metres long.
1: It can be two metres long. Yeah. And, and where can you get DNA from?
5: We can get DNA from hair and mouth cells and and skin and blood.
1: Got all kinds of places. You haven't been getting it from blood, though, have you? No. No, you've done it from your cheek? Yeah. So what stage are you at in the experiment? What have you got to do now?
5: Well, we've, um, we're using a pipette to put two millilitres of lysis buffer into the mixture.
1: And what does that do, exactly?
5: And it opens up the cells so that the DNA comes out.
1: Oh, excellent. And do you reckon you're going to win?
5: Um, yeah.
1: How optimistic are you that you're going to get the best DNA?
5: Well, I think um, that we are because we've been re- working really hard.
1: Have you have you got lots of friends there with you all, all working away at it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, is this the first time you've done anything like this?
5: Yeah, it's it- really exciting.
1: Excellent. OK, well, let's keep our fingers crossed for you. OK. Good luck with the rest of the experiment. OK,
5: thank you.
0: Fancy listening to the Naked Scientists in your bed, <laughs> on your way to work, or even at work? Why not subscribe to our podcast? For more information, visit nakedscientist.com forward slash podcast. Dr Chris and Dr Kat here with you
1: on BBC Local Radio right across the eastern counties until seven. This evening we are trying to rescue the Naked Scientist production team. They've been abducted by aliens and... Britain's schoolchildren have been press-ganged by these aliens into extracting their own DNA in order to prove to these aliens that we're as good at science as they are. And uh, as you just heard, Abigail at the Birch School in Essex just bring us up to speed there. Very soon we're going to be going to Norwich, Norfolk, to find out how uh, the Colby Primary School are getting on. Chris is waiting there to tell us what they're up to. Before the top of the hour, we should have somebody somewhere with their own sample of human DNA to tell us what it's going to look like. So stay tuned for the next half an hour to find that out. Up for grabs on our competition Science Fact or Science Fiction this evening is, of course, a copy of the Encyclopaedia Britannica on DVD. And all you have to do to have a chance to win it is to take part and call in now, Oh eight 2000. I've got a quick email here from Ewan, who's in New Zealand. He says, Hi Chris, always looking forward to the next podcast here in Queenstown, New Zealand. Quick question, why is it that cream crackers left out take a matter of hours to go soggy and stale, yet when put into a large box containing the same amount of air as outside, they remain crisp for weeks? Ewan, what do you think about that, Cat, any, any suggestions?
2: I would think it's something to do with the humidity and that in the external air you have lots of humidity, lots of water that's there, and you're getting more water when they absorb them. Whereas in a tin you only have a fixed amount of water. And,
1: And air movement.
2: And air movement.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, with, uh, I'm with you guys on this. I think the reason for this is that when you put them in a tin, you put the lid on, and therefore the total amount of gas and therefore water that's in that gas in, that can actually move into the biscuits is limited. And so therefore, it, although the biscuits will still soak up a bit of water, they won't have access to the whole room's water and you boiling the kettle and cooking your vegetables and things, and therefore the amount that can make the biscuits soggy and stale is minimal. So I think that's why, you and that your biscuits stay nice and crisp and firm.
2: That's really useful to know. Um... Anyway, we're going to have a quick chat to Mike Majerus and Darren Graham, who are here from uh, the Department of Genetics here at Cambridge and the Sanger Centre, respectively. And we're talking about genes, genomes, the instructions in our genes. And, um, and what's always fascinated me is to work out how similar our genes are to other animals. So, Mike, you work on insects, don't you, mainly?
7: I, I work mainly on insects,
2: how similar are we to insects
7: oh um, we 're not very similar to insects at all when you look at the way we look, uh, what we call our phenotype so our our basic anatomy you know we have a different number of eyes to some insects, we have certainly a different number of limbs, um, and yet when you go to the genetic level there 's an awful lot of the genes that they have we have the same they 're not exactly the same, but we can recognize that we have. For example, for for things like respiration, those, for actually taking oxygen so that you can use it around the body, we have very similar genes. For doing things with the DNA itself, with genetic material, the way DNA replicates, makes copies of itself in new cells or in sex cells, the things that do that, the other genes involved in doing that, they're the same, actually, not only in us and insects, but in pretty much all other forms of life. So you can go down to the bacteria level and you've got some of the same genes involved in that copying of DNA and then actually involved in the reading of the genetic code, these particular things that we call genes.
1: And if you look at um, a banana, for example, I think, I think the, the stated statistic is that, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I look like a banana, but I share well. roughly 60% of my genes with a banana. I think Would you go along with that? Yeah. That's that
2: uh, right. I mean, I'm getting visions here of, of the film The Fly with Jeff Goldblum in it, where he becomes a fly. And if you took a fly gene, would it work in humans? That,
7: that, that, that's the sort of questions I, I really would rather avoid. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I think it's absolutely amazing that you've got these... I, well, firstly, I should say, I'm I, I do want to just check about these aliens. These aliens... They're good guys, aren't they? They want... Well,
1: they've to... nicked our production team. Yeah,
7: well, but... I don't mind that, but I want well to make be. sure... <laughs> now, I want to make sure that they are not going to take the DNA away with them. Because if they are, you know, you'd have to be wondering why do they want English kids' DNA. But well, if we're they...
1: are the brightest, Mike, that's Well,
7: right. no, yeah, but what are they going to do with it? If they are just trying to work out that we are good enough, or perhaps even to encourage kids to understand a bit about genetics. You see, there is this terrible feeling around, pretty much around the world, when the word genetics is mentioned, it's this big, oh, God, this is going to be something horrible. You know, we go back to eugenics and all that sort of thing. Um, we, you know, most of the stories about, for example, genetically modified organisms are horror stories, you know, or mice with ears on their backs and so on. You know, that's going back about a decade and so on. There's a phenomenal amount of genetics being done, and all the good stories you never hear about. Um, there, was, there was two people I just want to mention. There's a guy called Dobzhansky. He was a Russian who went to America, and he said nothing in biology makes sense except in the, uh, the light of evolution. And then later, a couple of authors called Ayala and Kiga said nothing in evolution makes sense except in the light of genetics and if we're actually going to understand the world around us we've got to understand genetics and it's the sort of thing that Darren's doing down at the Sanger Centre with his sequencing vast amounts of DNA from different sorts of organisms are beginning to give us a little bit of understanding of what's really going on.
2: And we mustn't forget that advances in genetics have led to all sorts of improvements in human medicine and Things like that. And we've got some callers now who have questions for you. Who have we got now?
1: Hi, Kerry. Hello. How are you?
5: Fine, thank
1: you. You're on the line to Mike and to Darren.
2: Oh, lovely, thank you. We were just wondering if um,
1: our DNA and worms' DNA were so similar, then why we're so different to worms?
7: Um, Well, because there are certain major genes... Um, Sometimes they're called Hox genes, sometimes they're called developmental genes and so on. But there are certain genes that then switch on a whole suite of other genes. They sort of are are simply like switches in the very early development process. Um, To give you something that's sort of a little bit closer to home, um, just look at the nearest man uh, or guy around you and just look at how different you are to, to that person. Yeah. Okay, Now, not everything is due to one gene, but the fact that you are female and he is male is due to one single gene. It's a thing called SRY. But what that does is, very early in development, it makes um, testes, if it's present, and if it's not present, then ovaries are made. So you've got just one single gene that, that then switches over from one type to another... And then everything else then follows from that and the hormones produced by testes and ovaries. And in worms, they've got a different set of these Hox genes which start the whole process off. They, they sort of are switching on a completely different set of, sweet, uh, of genes in a different order. And so the developmental process is utterly different.
1: I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Mike, that we might have the same gene, but in the <coughs> same way that I have a gene which makes my eyes blue and someone else like Darren may have a gene that makes his eyes brown, we have the same gene, but the sequence is slightly different. And in a worm, they have many of the same genes as us, but obviously the, the coding of that gene is slightly different too, which gives another level of variety and variation between the two. Would, would you agree with
8: that? That's correct, Chris. And, and when you've got each gene, gene can produce many, many different molecules. These are the proteins that do things and these doing molecules are what also separate us beyond just the genes that we contain that are similar.
1: Kerry are you a little bit more enlightened now? Yeah
5: lovely thank you. Would
1: you like to have a go at the quiz and make yourself even more enlightened with a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica on DVD if you win? I'll give it a go. Alrighty a fox lives in a set do you think that's science fact or science fiction?
2: Fiction. You're absolutely right foxes live in dens.
1: Wolves live in, live wild in some remo- remote parts of Scotland. Wolves live wild in some remote parts of Scotland. Is that fact or fiction?
2: Fiction. You're quite right, yes. Wolves did originally live wild across the UK, but disappeared from England during the 1500s, and the last one was thought to have been killed in Scotland in 1743, but apparently some people are calling for wolves to be reintroduced. Mm. In the UK. Um, hmm.
1: It would help to get rid of some of those. That would be a bit of genetic selection, wouldn't it? To get rid exactly of some of those the
2: slowest nasty children. children yeah.
7: <laughs> I, I have to slightly disagree. It depends whether you are called wild dogs living wild in Scotland, because of course dogs are all wolves. Yep. Um, they are descended from wolves, they are genetically the same as wolves. And so, really, if there are any wild dogs in Scotland, then we do have wild wolves in Scotland.
1: So, in, in essence, Australia has wolves, but they're dingoes? Yeah. Okay, last question here, Kerry. Ready? Yep. This is a bit of a funny one. Picking your nose and eating the proceeds is good for you. Fact or fiction?
2: Fact three out of three yes um austrian lung specialist professor friedrich bischinger has been advocating picking your nose and eating it as a as a way of strengthening your immune system uh he says medically it makes great sense it's a natural thing to do um maybe not with quite such a bad accent and he says that people who pick their noses are healthier happier and better in tune with their bodies i think i'll
1: just eat an apple yeah, <laughs> i should do that <laughs> carrie thanks very much for your question
0: thank you
1: the Naked Scientist, Dr Chris and Dr Cat, we're here with you on BBC Local Radio, right around the eastern counties, through until seven. We're talking this evening with Mike Majeris and Darren Graffham about genes, genetics and DNA. If you would like to unravel some mysteries of the double helix for you, if you'd like us to unravel some mysteries of the, D- of the DNA double helix for you tonight, call in oh eight four five nine twenty five two thousand, or you can email me Chris at nakedscientist dot com. We're also this evening finding out whether. Britain's schoolchildren in the eastern region can extract their own DNA and they're doing this from their cheek so you chew on your cheek and get some cells off and then you bust open the cells and extract your DNA we're going to go now to Colby Primary School near Norwich in Norfolk where Chris is there with an update Hi Chris Hi How are you? Fine Is it going well? Yes, very It's going very well? Yeah Have you you never done anything like this before? No So what's been your favourite bit of the experiment so far?
5: Incubating the DNA sample
1: Oh, right. What did you have to do that for?
5: We had to do that so that the cells would unfold easier and we uh, would get a better result for, totally.
1: Oh, right. So you put the DNA in some warm, in a warm water bath, yeah. There's tubes in a warm water bath, so that the cells will burst open and the DNA comes out. Yeah. All oh, right. And are you ready to do the next stage yet?
5: Yep, yeah, we're ready.
1: OK. Do you reckon you're going to win? Yes. OK. Why is that?
5: Because our
1: school's the best. Let's hope so. Dr Chris and Dr Cat here with you through until seven. And uh, coming up next, we'll be going to Kettering. Uh, to the Brambleside School, where Matthew's going to tell us how it's going. Uh, that's coming up in the next five minutes or so. It's getting close now. Of course, we have a competition. Who is going to get the purest sample of their own DNA? This is using a kit kindly supplied this evening by BioRad, uh, and that's because aliens have abducted the Naked Sciences production team, and uh, they're only going to give them all back if uh, we can get a good sample of DNA from some of these schools. And the school that gives us the purest sample, and we're going to analyse this DNA this week as well and check it, they're going to get a prize from BioRad. So it's all 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 happening here in the next 10 to 15 minutes on The Naked Scientist. You will probably hear maybe the first description of what human DNA looks like when made from a school child here on BBC local radio in the Eastern Counties. Dr. Chris and Dr. Cat, we're here with you until 7. If you have any questions to do with science, technology, and medicine, give us a call now, 08459 252000, or you can email me, chris at nakedscientist.com. We're discussing the science of genes, genetics, and DNA this evening with Mike Majeris and Darren Graffham. Darren's from the Sanger Centre. which is actually where a lot of the human genome was sequenced. Darren, thanks for, thanks for, for joining in. People have heard you sort of talking and chipping in along this evening. But what, what is the importance of sequencing big tracts of DNA? Why, why is it useful to get a, essentially an idea of what's, it, what's in us?
8: Um, clearly it's important to understand the basics of where we are. So it begins with the four-letter code, the only four letters, of the alphabet that really matter for us, the A, C, Gs and T's. And the importance of these is they're the building blocks for everything that we do, everything that makes us. Um, and once we have these, we can actually look to build on this to make advances in medical technology and medical environment. Um, without this, it, it's really, really expensive, really time-consuming and really difficult to actually start doing basic biological experiments. Can I ask
1: one sort of cat among the pigeons type question? Sure. People told us that when we sequenced the human genome, we'd have an idea of where all the genes were and research would be catapulted into the next dimension because we'd understand all about genetic disease and that kind of thing. But about 20 years ago, someone published the entire sequence, or 15 years ago, someone published the entire genetic sequence of the herpes simplex virus that causes cold sores and its relative, the chickenpox virus. 90% of the population are still infected with both of those viruses and they're a major problem. We know the genetic code for them inside out. So when are we going to see spin-offs from doing this that are actually going to make us say, well, to cure people? So, as you say, I mean, it all starts by making a roadmap, the DNA sequence. Um,
8: That gives us a roadmap, but it doesn't tell us who lives in the houses on those streets. And until we know who lives in those houses, the herpes simplex virus, where it does, how it interacts with other things, we're still at a bit of a loss to actually how to prevent it, how to stop it. Um, So it will take a number of years, a number of futures to do, and some more advances. But once you've got your street wrap, you've got a start point to go in and start doing
1: the work with. Have there been any direct, immediate beneficial repercussions there must have been uh, of the human genome project
8: um it's difficult to answer i think the the most recent thing was there's a number of cancer drugs that are coming out and that will actually go into clinical trials in the near future that may have taken another 10 to 15 years to actually get onto the market so by being able to know the dna sequence by looking at the cancerous difference in sequences you can actually use targeted drugs to actually start to produce medicines and drugs towards these things
1: so you take the gene, you know what the gene makes, so you can have a look at what the gene makes, and because that gives you an inside clue as to what drugs might work against that particular structure, that's you've got to start.
8: It gives you some idea of what that drug actually does, or what the, the protein that's being made does, how it functions, how it works, and when you know what it works, you can start to anticipate how it deals with that.
1: OK, Peter is on the line. Hello, Peter. Hello. Thank uh, you for joining us. Good you, evening to you all. You, you can ask a question of Mike and, and Darren. They're here. Go ahead.
0: Hello. Um, yes, I have a stepson who has Fragile X Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, he was diagnosed at about 8. He's 28 now. Um, I'm just interested. There's no history of it in the family. Right. And also, anything you can tell me about Fragile X. And is there anything that could be done for him in the future?
1: This is one of these very interesting classes of diseases where pieces of DNA can change their length in an unpredictable way for no apparent reason. Uh, There's a whole family of these type of diseases and they often affect the brain for some reason, probably because the brain expresses about 80% of the genes in our body. They're all switched on in the brain, so it's quite likely that if you have a problem with a particular gene, it'll manifest itself in some way in the brain. With Fragile X... We know that a certain segment of the X chromosome becomes longer than it should do, and this can actually make it sort of move around a bit, and it, it causes genes adjacent to the bit that gets too big to behave a bit abnormally. But whether or not we're going to be in a position to make any differences to those people very, very soon, I, I think the answer's probably going to be no. I'm going to take a cautious stance on this, but maybe Darren or, or Mike can help out on this one.
7: Well, um, Fragile X, it's, it's called a triplet repeat disease, and uh, what you actually have, the the, the reason it's caused is um, you have three of the nucleotides, the the C's, G's, T's and A's that um, Diane was talking about before. Just three of them, a very specific three, repeated a different number of times. Now, everybody has this section repeated, but normally it's a limited number of repeats. Um, you may have heard um, of the idea of the selfish gene. Well, there's also selfish DNA, and this is bits of DNA that try to replicate themselves Make sure they keep going, not down the generations, but within the cell generations in an organism. And so they make more copies of themselves, partly by unequal crossing over. Uh, and it's once you've passed a particular threshold of the number of this uh, triplet repeat that you get problems. Um, it's The same is true of Huntington's career, Huntington's disease. And there's about four of these diseases.
2: So it's basically DNA misbehaving and copying itself too many times and then starting to mess about with the other genes within the yes. in the same place. Yeah, yeah. Does that help you, Peter? Yes, it
0: does. That was very helpful. Thank you very much.
2: Do you want to have a go at our quiz?
0: Um, I'm going to go down and join my partner and get her to help me
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think actually it's probably better if we just have a go at it right now because we're a little bit short for time okay um, all right first question peter
0: yeah
1: a bee could travel about a million miles on the energy in one liter of nectar is that fact or fiction fiction
2: no it's actually true um bees do about four million miles to the gallon.
1: OK, let's try for a, a copy of Dave Ray's book, all right? OK. Bird flu is caused by a form of influenza called H5N100. Is that fact or fiction?
0: That's
2: fiction. Yep, nasty bird flu uh, is caused by H5N1. That's,
1: That's a virus. Right. OK, it's all on this one, Peter. You ready? There are 39 vertebrae in a human spine. There are 39 vertebrae in a human spine. Is that fact or fiction? Uh,
0: fact.
2: Bad luck, but you're still in the running for, uh, for a second prize. There are 33 vertebrae, seven cervical ones in your neck, thoracic ones, there's 12 of those, five lumbar ones further down, and nine bones in the end of your pelvis and your tail.
0: I haven't done too well, have I?
1: You've got one out of three, and you're in second place at the moment, Peter. OK. Thank you for your call. It's been a pleasure having you on the programme. All right, thank you very much. Dr Chris and Dr Kat, here with you until 7 o'clock as the Naked Scientist. We are, of course, finding out what's happening all around the counties where people are in schools are extracting their DNA samples. I'm sorry, I-, I referred to Sam earlier as a girl. Actually, Sam's a boy, and he said, I had no idea that extracting my DNA was going to cause me to turn into a girl. Sorry, Sam. We're going to talk to you <laughs> shortly. He's at he's, he's Horringer Court Middle School in Bury St no. Edmunds in Suffolk, so we're going to go to Sam very, very shortly. But first, let's talk to Matthew with an update on how it's all going. Hi, Matthew. Hi. How's it going down there? Fine. What's been your best bit of the experiment so far?
5: The best bit of the experiment so far, I think, has actually been working with all my friends and all that.
1: Really? So there's not actually one component of the individual experiment? It's just getting together as a group and, and doing a teamwork effort? Yeah, that that's pretty much it. So what bit of the experiment are you doing now, Matthew?
5: We're adding ice-cold alcohol into the DNA so that when the alcohol goes into the files DNA, you can actually see the DNA.
1: Oh, it makes the DNA appear? Yeah. What's it, what's it beginning to look like?
5: It's beginning to look like, um... Well, it's got, like, this little cloud. what has wow. got loads of bubbles all over to start off with, and it's just floating about.
1: Fantastic. So it's actually working? Yes, yeah, it's working. So, Matthew, who's going to win? Um, hopefully our school. And what will you do if you do win?
5: We'll do more projects like this at our school. Yeah. And hope that other children um, do the same.
1: Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for bringing us up to speed on what you're doing so far. Good luck with the rest of the experiment. See ya. The naked scientists, Dr. Chris and Dr. Kat, with you as the naked scientists this evening. Until 7. We're talking this evening to Mike Majeris and Darren Graffham about genes, genetics, and DNA. If you have any questions on that, 08459 2000. We're only 10 minutes away from finding out what human DNA from Britain's school children is going to look like. Sam is currently waiting for us to tell us what it all looks like in Barry St. Edmunds.
0: Fancy listening to the naked scientists in your bed, <laughs> on your way to work, or even at work. Why not subscribe to our podcast? For more information, visit nakedscientist.com forward slash podcast. We're
1: into the last five to ten minutes of The Naked Scientists here on BBC Local Radio in the Eastern Counties. Dr Chris and Dr Cat with you. 08459 if you have any questions on genes, genetics and DNA for Mike Majerus and Darren Graham. First, let's head over and find out what human DNA, if we've got any, looks like from Sam who is a boy, and I'm sorry if I accidentally said she earlier. He's at Horinger Court Middle School in Bury St Edmunds. Hi, Sam. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you getting on with this experiment?
5: It's okay. We have just put the DNA into the necklaces and into the tubes.
1: So you've actually finished? Yes, we have. What does it look like?
5: It's kind of a bit like cotton wool. Yeah. And thread. It's a bit like cotton wool, but a bit looser. Yeah, and it's white
1: and it's lots of strands of it. Lots of s- strands? Yes. And is that what you expected DNA would look like? I think it was, yes. Some people say it looks a bit like snot. Would you agree with them? <laughs> no. No? No. <laughs> OK, Sam. Well, thanks very much for telling us uh, what DNA That's
0: looks right. like. Thank it's you. been great having you on the programme. Stripping down science. OK, let's do it. The Naked Scientists. who
1: has won? Who has got the purest sample of DNA? We'll have to wait till next week to find out who has the purest but we're going to announce an additional prize this evening for perhaps one, perhaps all of those schools who took part in the next couple of minutes Uh, Right, um, let me tell you about next week's show because that's going to be very exciting too. We'll be finding out obviously who's got the purest sample of DNA so you've got to tune in for that. But also, Brian Fulton from, from the University of York and Mike Hobson from the University of Cambridge will be here to talk about astrophysics and cosmology. In other words, the, the science of space, how the sun works, what powers the sun, are all suns like our own, where did they come from, how do they work, what's the ultimate fate of our, our solar system and the ultimate fate of the universe, where did planets come from, how did they form... All those kind of questions next week on The Naked Scientist between six and seven. So that's that's Mike Hobson and Brian Fulton who'll be here. We're talking this evening with Mike Majeris and Darren Graffham about genes, genetics, and DNA. If you want to ask a question, we've got about five minutes left of the programme, you might be able to squeeze in quickly. Oh eight four five nine twenty five two thousand is the phone number. Let's go back first of all to Mike. Mike, you would been doing some work on ladybirds and apparently we've been invaded.
7: Oh yeah, this is this is um the harlequin ladybird the killer ladybird that arrived first one was found on the 19th of september 2004 and it got into all the press um who sort of made it into a very big story that it was going to wipe out all the british ladybirds um i'm responsible for that story and um it has increased in its range so it's now all over the southeast of england um we're getting huge numbers of records from the area that the naked scientist covers and it's increasing in number. We've had the first reports this autumn of houses being invaded by hundreds of these things. Oh my god. Um, we have been working through the year and we've got funding for another year, surveying um, for all our British ladybirds both where it's arrived and where it hasn't yet. And we're doing genetics on this as well. So we're looking at the harlequin's got lots of different colour forms. We're finding out the genetic control of those and we want people still to send us in samples, sam- you know, individuals for the records, but if you can find us 40 or 50, we then get a frequency of the different samples and we can look how evolution is affecting these colour patterns now they've just arrived. OK, we've got a very quick question because
1: we're into the last two minutes of the programme. Darren, we've got a quick question. Rose is on the phone in Peterborough. Good evening, Rose.
5: Hi. What's
1: your question for Darren?
5: Um, how many types of dna
1: can you get go on darren you've got one minute to answer that (laughs) how many types of dna
8: um basically you can only get a single type of dna it's all made up of the same basic codes um
1: so one type of dna at this point rose we're very short for time so i'm going to offer you one go at this this quiz okay and if you get it right you can win a prize okay all right are you ready yeah a squirrel lives in a home called a nuttery do you think that's science fact or science fiction The guys here are sort of shaking their heads a bit. That might give you a clue. Fiction.
2: Fiction. Yeah. You're absolutely right, yes. uh, They do not live in nutteries. Squirrels live in drays. Well done, done.
1: Rose. You won yourself a prize. Well done, Rose. Right, you have been listening to The Naked Scientists on BBC Local Radio right across the eastern counties because, well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to sort of call it a halt there. But it remains to me to say enormous thank you to Darren Graffam from the Sanger Centre at Hingston and from Mike Majeris at uh, Cambridge University. Thank you for coming in and unravelling the mysteries of DNA and, and the double helix for us this evening. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you for joining us. And Very thank welcome. you to Cheers, the production guys. team here at The Naked Scientists, to Petro, Minch and Anna Lacey, who've done a wonderful job this evening. Now, uh, we also have to tell Kerry that she has won our prize this evening. She's won herself an Encyclopedia Britannica, so well done to you. That's in the post on its way to you. And to all of those people who took part this evening, and that includes the Horinger Court Middle School in Suffolk, Brambleside School in Kettering, Northamptonshire, Colby Primary School near Norwich in Norfolk, uh, where else did we go to? A Birch School in Essex, Dogsthorpe Junior School in Peterborough comershire and Roxham School in Pottersborough in Hertfordshire, Biorad have kindly said that you have all won a prize. And you will all be getting a a copy of that kit so you can do that experiment again. Thank you very much for taking part. It's been great to have you on the programme this evening and we'll see you at the same time next week.
0: Sorting out the sparks from the quarks. The Naked Scientists. For more information, get online at nakedscientists.com.